We're going to go ahead and um, dismiss our children for Children's Church. They want to go ahead and meet their teachers out in the foyer area. If you're remaining in the room, if you want to open your Bibles up to Psalm 131, we're going to get there in just a moment. Um, I'm going to be reading from the message version again today, and uh, if you've got a Bible app, you can uh, choose that so you could read along. Uh, But we've been in a series that we've called Put Away the Toys. Starting way back in August, this series was based on Paul's principle that as we, you know, Paul says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. But what Paul is saying is, I put away childish things to become a man. And so we don't just become spiritually mature until we choose to put away childish things. So anything that the scripture reveals and says is sin, as we start to put those things away and whatever the scripture says is good and things that we should embrace and characteristics we should walk in, as we put those things on, as the scriptures say, we mature in our faith, we grow up. And so putting away the toys is this idea of putting away the things that keep us from growing. And We've, we've been using a book by Eugene Peterson called Perseverance, a long obedience in the same direction. It's about persistence and perseverance and uh, being in this for the long haul. You know, we're not in, we, we don't get saved and say, well, I'll try Jesus and see how it works. No, we're saying I'm in this and I'm in it for the long haul. And I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to be persistent. And if I fall, the scripture says, if a righteous man falls six times, he rises again seven. Meaning every time I fall, I get back up and I keep moving and I press into the things that God has for me. And we've been using the Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 are these 15 Psalms that the Jews would sing as they ascended to Jerusalem. They ascended physically because Jerusalem is the high point, but Jerusalem was also the place where God's presence dwelled. And so as they ascended to where the Lord was, they sang these songs. And by singing and declaring them, they were firming up the foundation. Okay, when we sing and declare God's word, we are establishing it as truth in our lives. Does that make sense? I mean, sometimes people say, well, you know, that's just emotionalism. No, you know, okay, there's either good emotion or bad emotion. Either you're going to be grumpy and miserable and sad and tired, or you're going to be happy and joy-filled and gracious and loving, and so you're going to let yourself go either direction. Circumstances will come and try to pull you one way or the other, but if you will continue to trust the Word of God, declare the Word of God, you will actually lead yourself in the right direction. If you just sit at home and think about how miserable your life is right now, how much pain you're in right now, how terrible all your circumstances are right now, joy will not flow out of that. It's just not going to happen. And you can pray till you're blue in the face, Lord, fill me with joy. Everything he's given us for life and godliness. And we add these things. We have to set our minds on things above. We have to set our minds on the word. And so these things that we've talked about through these weeks, all of them have helped us to set our minds. And as we embrace them and put them in our lives, I know we are going to ascend to the hill of the Lord, if you will. Or we're going to grow up in our faith. We're putting away childish things. No more. No more childishness. No more temper tantrums in the grocery store or wherever we are. And so today is, is humility. Now, 
some of the chapters in this book, as we've been in this study, I've been amazed that even with the breaks, because we've taken breaks throughout for missionaries and for Christmas and all these things, and it just seems that each of them speaks to where, at least where I am, where some of you are. Like there, people will come to me and share something during the week, and I'm thinking, oh man, my sermon is really, like this is for them. And sometimes as a pastor, you get nervous about that because you think people that came in to talk to you and then they're like, why is he preaching what, what uh, why, you know, he's exposing me. No, the nice thing about this is it's in the book. And so if you had any question, I could just say, look, it's the next chapter and I didn't write it. I just declared it to you. And so um, it's been kind of taking the pressure off. But some of the chapters, as I've read them, I thought, ah, I wish I could skip over that one. This would be one that at first glance I thought, I, I wish I could skip over this one because it just didn't seem real meaty. You know, it didn't seem like it was going to give us much. Uh, but the longer I uh, let it resonate or marinate in me, uh, the more I was like, yeah, we can't skip this one. If you want to put a subtitle for this, I would call it peace. Peace. Because that's, that's what I would call it if I was Eugene Peterson writing this, but, you know, he called it humility, so I'll give him credit. Psalm 131, this is what it says from the message. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be the king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart. Like a baby content in its mother's arms, my soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now. Hope always. The thing we know about the Christian faith is it requires continuous maintenance, okay? It requires that we attend to our faith. Uh, if we try to just attend to our faith once a week or every other day, that's not going to work out real well. Just like everything else on this earth, if you leave something alone, it tends to rot, rust, decay, if you've seen the picture that's floating around Facebook of the old car with the tree growing out of it, I was going to repair that one day. If, you, if you've seen it, you're laughing. If you haven't, I wish I had it, but that's the story. If you leave stuff alone, it just doesn't get better all by itself, okay? We got to attend to it. We got to put maintenance into it. If you paint a post white and you leave it alone, eventually it will be black. That's just the nature of the world we live in, and our faith is no different. So every spring, people around this, the, the community will start pruning their shrubs, their trees, and they'll do it every single year because they care about their stuff growing. Now, if you're like me, you have no idea what you're doing, and so sometimes you kill your stuff because you don't do it right, but if you were a bystander looking at this and you'd never seen it done before, you would think people were crazy. You would think they've just killed that bush. What, what are you doing? But people that grow things understand that in order for that to be really fruitful, I got to cut it back. Because if there's a lot of excess branches, if there's a lot of excess stuff that is, is there, the fruit, the buds, the blossoms will be less. Plant a rose bush. You're going to have beautiful roses and beautiful buds. But if you never prune that thing back, eventually you're going to have a lot of limbs and thorns and not a lot of good-looking roses. It's got to be cut back. It's got to be pruned all of the time. Psalm 131 is a maintenance psalm. There are two things in particular that this psalm prunes away in our lives. The first is unruly ambition or pride. Unruly ambition or pride. 
you might want to call it getting too big for our britches. Okay, that's what it cuts away. Because sometimes we get too big for our britches and we need to be pruned. The second thing is what Eugene Peterson, he calls it infantile dependency. Infantile dependency. While we are called to be dependent on Christ, there is an infantile kind of dependency, a neurotic kind of dependency that we're not called to walk in. This would be a cutting of the apron strings. If you want to put it in like the message format, that's what this psalm does. It cuts the apron strings. Because the scripture tells us we need pruning. Jesus said, I am the true grapevine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more fruit. So sometimes in your life or sometimes in our church or sometimes in the kingdom of God in a city, God may cut things back. He may prune in our lives and we may think we've lost in our lives, but we recognize that God is bringing more fruitfulness. Psalm 131 teaches us that God wants to do this. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're reminded that God's word is useful. It's God-inspired. He spoke it. He breathed it on people. They wrote it down. And that word rebukes us, corrects us, trains us, and teaches us. It equips us for every single work. It prunes us back so that we can be more fruitful. I believe as we get an understanding of this psalm, we're going to produce even more fruit. As we allow this word to cut away at our lives, it's going to make us more fruitful. So let's look at the opening of the psalm again. The opening of the psalm says, God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I've not meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart. Now, these words are very difficult for us to comprehend. They're not difficult to understand with our minds because they're very simple words and they're very plain. The problem is they're difficult to grasp with our emotions. They're difficult to really put into our lives and make them truth for us. See, every culture throughout history has put stumbling blocks in the way of people who want to live by faith. From the time Jesus walked the earth till even in our day today, the cultures around us will throw things at us that will keep us or hinder us from following the Lord wholeheartedly. It's a fantasy if we start to think it would be easier if I lived at such and such a time to serve the Lord. Or it would be easier if I lived in such and such a country to serve the Lord. Because none of those are true statements. If you and I will not serve the Lord right where we are, equipped by him, because his word says we've been given everything we need for life and godliness, living at another time or living in another place would not make serving the Lord easier. That's a fantasy. That's a lie from the enemy. It's no easier to be a Chinese Christian or a Spanish Christian or a Russian Christian or a Brazilian Christian or an Argentinian Christian. I mean, there's a great move of God happening in Argentina. If only I lived in Argentina. No. Because we have been given everything we need right here for life and godliness. Now, there are differences in different times and different places that cause special problems but the scripture says God makes us aware of those things and he empowers us to overcome those things. In our day, we, we have an ancient temptation that now has become, as a culture, approved of. 
In fact, this temptation has been encouraged and even expected in our lives. That is ambition or pride. Our culture encourages and rewards ambition without qualification. We are surrounded by a way of life where betterment is now described like this. Expansion, acquisition, fame. Everyone wants to get more. Everyone wants to be on top. And it doesn't matter what you're on top of, because as long as you're on top, you're admired. And our culture promotes that. There's nothing new about this temptation. It's as old as the, the world is. This temptation is what got Adam kicked out of the garden. This temptation is what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. Ambition and pride. It's difficult to recognize something that is admired and approved by the culture as a sin. But the scripture clearly points it out as sin. All around us, approval is given to ambition and to pride. It's urged as profitable. It's rewarded as an achievement. But it's described in the scripture as a sin where we're not to take things into our own hands, where we're not to be our own God, where we're not to grab at what's there while we can still get it. But in our day, these are now described as basic wisdom. Get ahead regardless of the price and take care of me first. That's what our culture teaches. This psalm flies in the face of that. It teaches us that's not the way to go. I don't want to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I've not meddled where I have no business. I have not fantasized about grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. Now, Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says this. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. I'm not saying that I have already, I have all this together, that I've made it, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all this, but I've got my eye on the goal, where God is beckoning us onward, to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us, if any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. That's a very ambitious verse. See, as long as our ambition is in what God has for us, ambition is a good thing. But ambition can quickly become selfish ambition where something that looks good is something we think we should have or something maybe that even God at one time promised and we try to grab it or cling to it apart from what God is telling us to do. And so ambition can quickly become selfish ambition. We have to guard ourselves. The plan that God has for each of us that Paul's talking about is better than any plan we would ever have for ourselves. You know, if you get passed over for a promotion... Please understand, God is still fully aware of where you are. And if you try to claw and fight and defend yourself to get what you think is rightfully yours, God will let you do that. 
But if you step back and you humbly walk before him, he'll reward you with something far greater than anything you could attain for yourself. But you have to trust him. And it's hard to trust him. So if we're not supposed to be proud or clamorous, arrogant people, what should we be? Maybe we should be quiet, fearful, cringing, insecure people. No. (laughs) Thank you. No, we should not. (laughs) But see, having realized that pride is an error, sometimes we have the error of flipping clear in the other direction and now thinking not too highly of ourselves, but thinking too little of ourselves. Christianity, as the psalmist describes it here, is not this infantile dependency on God. But there is a dependency that we're called to have on God. Let's go back to the psalm. He says to us, I've cultivated a quiet heart like a baby content in my mother's arms, in its mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. God is a God who can be trusted with our destiny. He is our parent, if you will. He is helping us. In the infancy stage, he is our nurturer. The same way that a nursing mother provides uh, nourishment for that baby in her arms, God provides nourishment for us. But that mother understands that there's going to come a time when that child is going to be weaned. And that child is going to be able to lay in her arms, not just seeking her for nourishment, but for her presence. Her presence becomes the calming effect, not the nourishment she provides. That's humility. That's growing up. See, Jesus told us in Mark chapter 10, as people were bringing children to him, hoping that he would touch them, the disciples shooed them off. But Jesus was irate and he let them know it. Don't push away these children. Don't ever get between them and me. These children are at the very center of life in the kingdom. Mark this. Unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Then gathering the children up in his arms, he laid his hands of blessing on them. Now, these are not completely, totally helpless children. Okay? They're able to do things for themselves. And back in Jesus' day, young children actually participated far more in the chores, chores of the home than many of our children do today. Today, we don't think 18-year-olds have the responsibility level to to do just about anything. Well, here's why. We haven't given them the responsibility early enough in life and trained them how to do it. We haven't expected anything from them, and so of whom little is expected, little is provided. Does that make sense? So these are not helpless children. So we know that Jesus isn't gathering these completely, totally helpless infants to himself. So he's, he knows that there's something about children. There's something about their willingness to be led. There's something about them willing to be taught in just simplicity. There's something about them wanting to be blessed by him. None of the adults would dare come near Jesus just to, to be blessed by him. Remember the, the, the crowd that came because Jesus fed them and he rebuked them? He said, you're not coming to me because you know I have life. You're coming to me because I fed you. Seek after things that lead to life. These little children weren't coming for nourishment. They were coming just to be with Jesus and be blessed by him. 
That's what he's looking for. That's the type of dependency that he wants from us. The psalm talks about us being content, and it compares it to a child that has been weaned. We're not like an infant who's crying loudly to be fed. We're like a weaned child quietly resting at his mother's side. Now, I don't know any other way to describe this, so I'm sorry if it makes you slightly uncomfortable, but a child who is being nursed by the mother, when mom holds the child who's not weaned, they're not content to just sit still in mom's arm. They want nourishment, even if they're not really hungry or ready to be fed yet, because they know that's where they get nourished from, because they're babies. But a child who's been weaned from that, who now considers mom more of a soothing presence, than just a place where I can get fed? That's what the psalmist is saying. Far too many believers are just going to God because he feeds them. They get nourishment from him. They're not content to just rest by his side unless he's providing them what they need. And the psalmist says, we've got a break from that. He says, I've cultivated a quiet heart. In the NIV, it says, I've quieted my soul. I've quieted my soul. So the psalmist is telling us we're transitioning in our lives from a sucking infant to a weaned child. We're transitioning from a squalling baby to a quiet son or daughter. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a part of weaning a child, but that's a noisy clamorous time i mean children don't just accept it as this is what's best for me okay it's it's crazy and mom sometimes can't even hold the baby dad has to be the one to calm him because mom he's they got to be weaned from mom in the same way this is what's happening in our lives but the scripture says we need to call cultivate a quiet heart a quiet soul, meaning it's up to us. We've been given what we need to quiet ourselves, to look at the situations that are happening around us. I know we need nourishment. I know we need something from the Lord, but we have been given through the Holy Spirit everything we need to just wait quietly by the Lord's side, knowing our destiny is in his hand. I mean, he's the very one that has the power to give us nourishment. And it's like he's withholding it from us. And it's not because he's abandoned us. It's not because he's forsaken us. He's promised never to do it. It's because he's cutting the apron string. He's teaching us to grow up in our faith. See, it's a mark of spiritual maturity when we can forego the joy that we once thought was essential and we can find contentment in just knowing the Lord. Many times when we start out in our Christian life, we begin at a place of desperation where we just cry out to the Lord, He hears us and He responds to us. And He does that. I, he, that's when we cry out to the Lord, He helps us, heaven breaks in, they take care of us. But God doesn't want us as believers to stay in this infancy stage where whenever we're in trouble, we just cry out like a screaming baby. He wants us to grow up in our faith where we still depend on him. Our salvation still depends on him. Our needs are still met by him, but we don't do it like a crying infant. 
We do it like a son or daughter. And in the process of waiting for it, we can simply rest contently by his side. Now, I wish I could just wave a magic wand over all of us today and just produce that in us. That's not how it happens. You know how it happens? Little by little. He puts us in a situation. He allows us to be there where we need something from him. And sometimes we cry like an infant, so we cry ourselves to sleep. And other times we just sit contented. We continue to ask, we continue to seek, we continue to knock, we continue to obey, we continue to worship, we continue to do all the things we know to be right, but we trust him with our destiny. No need to try to manipulate the situation, no need to try to make things happen. We wait for him. We trust in him. The psalm is a call to growth by pruning. See, as you grow up in physical realms, you get more responsibility. When you show and prove your maturity in the home, you get to drive a car, you get to maybe stay out later, you get, you get benefits, if you will. The same thing is true spiritually, because the writer of Hebrews, when he's writing to the, the people there, he says this, there's much more we would like to say about this. What that says to us is there, that the kingdom of God, the word of God, has more than we know right now. There is more about the word of God that, that God wants to show us, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you're spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You've been believers so long now. You ought to be teaching others. How long? How long should I be a believer before I'm able to teach others? You want me to answer that for you? It's up to you. It's up to you. It's up to me. The moment I hear something from the Lord and start putting it into practice, I'm ready to teach someone else. But some people can go to church for 75 years and they don't put it into practice. They're not ready to teach. So the, lo the longevity of your, your teaching or your salvation doesn't mean you're ready. Instead, instead of teaching others, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Someone who lives on milk is still an infant, doesn't know how to do what is right, doesn't know how to do what is right. It doesn't say, I'm not an infant because I've got tons of biblical knowledge amassed up here. No, if we don't know how to do what's right, if we can't sit contently by our Father's side knowing He's got our destiny in hand, even when there's a, a storm, can I tell you something? There can be a storm raging on the inside of you and you can sit contently by the Father's side. Everything within you could be wanting to like scream and cry and kick, but you won't because you know how to do what's right. And the thing is, is he's already given us this power. The spirit of self-control lives in us as believers. So we can. We can do this. It's not going to be easy, but we can. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So chapter 6 let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. 
Let's go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds, placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So God willing, we'll move forward to further understanding. Verse 7, when the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. What he's saying is, as you receive the word of God that's coming down, and you allow it into the soil of your heart, and then it grows up, and it produces fruit, you have God's blessing. I mean, God's blessing comes to you in word form, and you let it get in your heart, and then you let it grow up and produce fruit. That's what he's saying. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it's useless, and the farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. Now, dear friends, even though we're talking this way, we don't believe it applies to you. Thank God. I mean, this is a warning. This, for every one of us in this room, that's a warning. Our field could either produce fruit or thorns and thistles, and it's all up to us. Every one of us sitting in this room are hearing the same words, the same messages, the same things, and it's either going to produce fruit or thorns and thistles. It's up to us. I hope it doesn't apply to us either. We are confident that there are, you are meant for better things. You are. Everyone in this room, we are meant for better things. Things that accompany salvation. Accompany it. Come with it. I mean, let's stop being content that we're saved and we're waiting for Jesus to come on the clouds and take us into glory. There is so much that he has for us right now. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you'll follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promise, promises because of faith and endurance. See, the psalm ends, wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope, hope now, hope always. In other words, choose to be with him. Choose his presence. Choose his ways. Respond to his love. Cultivate a quiet heart. When Paul was talking to the church in Colossians, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let it rule in your heart. Meaning, the peace of Christ is in your heart. How do we know that? Because he is the spirit of peace. And if he, as a believer, lives in me, the Holy Spirit of peace, I can choose to either let peace rule in my heart or not let peace rule in my heart. And it has nothing to do with what's going on around me. We think it's our circumstances that make us anxious. No, it's what we allow our hearts to do in response to them. Now, like the Apostle Paul, I wish I was sitting here right now saying, you need to be like me and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. It doesn't rule in my heart every day. I fall off the wagon just like you do. But I, when I fall off the wagon, uh, I'm thankful that it hurts enough that I realize I fell off the wagon. I need to get back on the wagon. And sometimes I'll call other people and say, hey, I've fallen off the wagon. I need you to pray for me to get my mind right. I'm struggling with this temptation. Help me to get my mind right. And they'll encourage me, they'll pray, and they'll help me. Charles Spurgeon once preached on this psalm, and he said, it's the shortest psalm to read and the longest 
psalm to learn. And it's true. See, in the Christian world, we sometimes reel from one side of the road to the other. As we're in this journey of faith, we turn one corner and we are faced with this problem, this emergency, and so we rise up in our own strength and we meet that challenge. And then we travel down the road and we come around another turn and we're faced with it again. And this time, we're overwhelmed and we run in a panic to God, but not in the form of relationship, more in the form of religion. And we keep running to this God and we're just crying out like infants. God wants us to come to Him in full assurance of faith. He still wants us to cry out to Him. He still wants us to plead with Him. He still wants us to know that we are fully dependent on Him and we can do nothing in and of ourselves. But He doesn't want us to do it like an infant. He wants us to do it with a faith that says, God, there's a storm in my, my spirit, right? in my soul, my soul. There shouldn't be a, a storm in your spirit uh, because if you got the Holy Spirit, then you're good there. But your soul many times has a storm your mind, your will, your emotions. And we've got to make sure that we're not just going back and forth from being a rebellious runaway and a whining baby. We've got to find that balance, that road, that Christian humility. And so this psalm, because it's so short, would be very easy to overlook. But it's pretty essential. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized with grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart like a baby content in its mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now. Hope always. Psalm 131 is trying to nurture us and give us this calm confidence, this quiet strength while God is working out his plan for our lives. That's how it's leading us. My prayer for us as a church is that this is the kind of people we would be. The scripture says in the last days, terrible times are coming. People are going to betray each other. They're going to hate each other. There's going to be rebellion. There's going to be love. People are going to be lovers of money. We're going to be boastful. We're going to be proud. Uh, read Paul's description in 2 Timothy chapter 3 of these terrible times that are coming on the earth. But he doesn't tell us that to cause us to panic or to get upset. And my prayer is that no matter what happens in our lives, that we respond like this baby, wean, just sitting by our father, knowing that he can provide that nourishment that we need just like that, but also realizing that when he withholds it, He's just pulling us a little further in that path of maturity. And so we wait. We wait with hope. We wait with a quiet confidence that he will deliver us. And so, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the strength that it provides for us. I thank you for the certainty it gives us in uncertain times. I thank you for the reminder today that you are faithful. You never leave us. You never abandon us. You never forsake us. Never once have we ever walked alone. 
Holy Spirit, help us not just to hear the words of this psalm, but to put it into practice. Prune away the selfish ambition of our lives, the pride that tries to exert itself, that tries to maybe even put our nose where it doesn't belong, that tries to grab and hold and hoard for ourselves, that seeks to protect ourselves first and love others second. Prune away that selfish ambition and give us a renewed, righteous ambition to seek after you, to seek after your plans, your desires for us. God, I pray, open the eyes of every man, every woman, every teenager, every child in this building right now to know the plans and purposes you have for our lives. There is far more that you want for us than we've experienced. There is far more than you have in store for us than we've known in the past. Help us to go after that. Help us to be all in, in our pursuit of you and those purposes. Holy Spirit, in the meantime, help us to cultivate a quiet heart. Help us to quiet our souls. Thank you that you've placed your spirit inside of us. Help us to take everything that he has given us and use it to quiet our hearts, our minds, our emotions, and to rest at your side while you work out the plans and purposes you have for our lives. May this body be like a weaned child in its mother's arms. Totally confident that you are going to come through for us and learning to rest and wait and continue to be faithful and obedient until you deliver. God, settle these things in our heart deep today and cause them to grow up and produce fruit in our lives. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get ready to dismiss today, if you want to spend some more time in prayer, you're always welcome to do that. If you need prayer and haven't been prayed for, our prayer team will still be here. We'd love the opportunity to pray with you. If you want to be dismissed, uh, as always, please uh, save your visiting for the foyer area. Let this be a kind of a quiet place, a place of prayer for those that want to spend a few more moments before they're dismissed today. God bless you as you go.